is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about a ton of books today, kicking it off. I'd say it's a, it's a, it's not a huge, you know, it's a regulation. Well, there's still a lot of books we're going to talk about, and we're going to be talking about one of the hottest properties in Hollywood land, well-timed here, Predator Number 1 from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Kev Walker. Now, I don't know if you folks have checked out Prey, currently on Hulu, but I was so pleasantly surprised how well they coordinated this. That Prey is the biggest movie on Hulu. Everybody was talking about it this weekend. And then this week, Predator 1 comes out. Totally unrelated, just in terms of story, but in terms of tie-ins, we've talked Wait. a lot on the show about how, like, they'll be like, Did you Guess watch what? it? We were... Yes, I did watch Prey, but this is not a podcast did... about movies. This What's is a podcast it good? Yeah. about... It was awesome. Yeah, uh, really? But... Right. So good. So good. Do not, dude, fine. Okay, if you want to talk about it, Ember Midthunder from Legion. She's great. She kicks more ass. Oh my God. It's great. There's a dog. The dog kicks ass. ass. So good. But totally unrelated story here in Predator. However, you got Ed Bryson on writing. You got Kev Walker on Arc. Fantastic. This is awesome. On Arc? On Arc. Um, the, the, thing, the thing about this is, like, it, I love the way that Marvel has the Aliens books that are, like, really cool, really fun. Um, very much just homage, still great, but very much in the style. And what I really liked about reading this is their Predator universe doesn't have that much business they have to deal with. It really is just like, yeah, these guys are good at hunting, but they often die also. Uh, so that's great. And in this book, we get that really like great art. Predators, not chatty, just like usual, doing their business. You get a little bit of predator backstory and how they work. Um, they pick each up each other's hunting routes if one of them dies, which is fun. And um, great story with uh, sort of the predator uh, human hunting the predator creatures. Yeah, that was a fun twist. I really yeah. liked that. I liked uh, the setup of that. It was a fun reveal. Art's great. I thought this was a fantastic first issue. Uh, that got. I was like, all right, another predator book. But I was super impressed with this. Yeah, I thought this was really good. Definitely a pickup, whether a fan of the Predator series or not. It's a great sci-fi alien gross-out action book with some awesome art by Kev Walker. Moving on to Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number one from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison. This is the final story in the Deceased universe. And like we always talk about and we all agree on, Really weird syntax on the name there. Like the deceased thing, it just doesn't work for Stop. all three of us. Let me just say. Equally like, oh, upset about it. Yeah, what's up? What's up? What's Alex, this is what I call a classic Zalbin stumbling block. He no. can't get past the first sort of word <laughs> in the title. Deceased. Don't get him started on the colon. Deceased. I don't know. Uh, it's just it's you nice. have a it's hard a time saying it, but it's easy to read. It's. Uh, I, I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, I... I mean, as far as spoilers are concerned, um, you know, I don't know if we want to get into that or not, but like. Not on this show. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'll save it. But I feel like. No, this is. is, Go for it. Uh, Spoiler alert. Turn away if you don't want to know. Take it away, Pete. I feel like Superman wasn't dead long enough for me to miss him enough for the big reveal that he's back and everybody was so happy to see him. I was like, dude, you've been gone for like half a minute, bro. Well, uh, 
but this is the point. The book isn't about that. I, I actually really liked sort of. I mean, in general, between this and um, all the DC versus Vampire stuff, like these little sub universes that have been uh, popping up in the DC universe are pretty decent. DC, <laughs> decent. That's it. These are books they're, are decent. They're decent. Uh, they're decent. Uh, no, but I've I really been really are liking you them. Saying they're decent. Decent? Oh my god! No, I'm just so saying they're decent. they're Stop. just decent. Uh, they are they're great, and this uh, the sort of cold open for this book I thought was great and like horrifying. Very and then, line producer thing from you to say talking about well, the cold it, open. It's what it was. This is a cold open. Um, really spinning like the classic DC stories into the zombie versions without it being just feeling like a Walking Dead thing or even like a Marvel Zombies thing, which felt very Walking Dead when that happened. Uh, it feels like it's its own thing, and I look forward to these books. Every well, week. and also I'll uh, throw out there how many. We've seen an innumerable amount of zombie comic books, zombie movies, zombie TV shows. Zombies in real life? I just bumped into a bunch out on the what? beach. Dude, yeah. You got to double tap right? them, bro. Double I did, tap. I did. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, All right. All right. Uh, they started you talking. Always, they always get to a point. <laughs> not always get to a point, but a lot of them will get to a point where they're like, we have the zombie cure. Now what's out there is hope. And that's the end of the book. And that's where they ended the last deceased thing. Here, they're showing us what comes next, and that's pretty cool. Like, that's an interesting place to put things, which I don't think I've necessarily seen a zombie book before, and I'm enjoying it. What were you going to say, Pete? So uh, I really thought the Alfred stuff was was really great and rough. Uh, I, I oh, thought the last yes. couple the last couple of panels were really fun. I thought this was a fantastic first issue, like a really power packed first issue. A lot of emotion, a lot of like interesting ideas, getting you excited for more. I was impressed with this. It's the sort of book that really asks you, how about Dees Nuts? Oh my God. Wow, great. At, uh, at, I, certain, at certain point, as a comedian, what drives me nuts is you do a bit to death, regardless of the reaction you get. When you get a Luke Rome re- reaction, move on to a different bit, you asshole. What no, the fuck? You keep driving into it until it no, uh, That's what Carlin awesome. did. He yeah. started with only one swear word. Don't he compare didn't himself to Carlin. <laughs> He kept doing more swear words. <laughs> Let me say the Alfred, the Alfred scene in here is barely a scene. Um, and to set it up a little bit, uh, Alfred, all the um, heroes that returned to zombies were then brought back because they sort of right. beat the zombie uh, curse or beat the disease. But they couldn't bring back um, the people that Alfred killed, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 uh, Tim, right, Batman, Dick, and Tim, I think. And woof, what a sad. Like, it was such it was, a great little moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I appreciated how Alfred was kind of dealing with that. It was uh, it was rough, but really meaningful and powerful couple of pounds there with uh, Alfred. Why don't we guy. move on to Love Everlasting, number one from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Chartier. I apologize if I'm mangling that name, but this is a book that was previously released on Substack and is now coming out through Image oh, Comics. It wow. is... About. And just to just to be clear, uh, we're the stack, and Substack is just right below us. <laughs> oh, it's just okay. right yeah, underneath. A it's like a basement. Yeah, yeah, that's being recorded right now, right below us, and it's pretty fucked up, man. Yeah, it's, yeah <laughs> the basement. Fucked up stuff happens in the basement. Yes. So this is about a woman who is in a old timey romance comic, but of course things are not quite what they seem. I read this book back on Substack, and it was a joy to read it again because. 
Elsa Chartier's art is so mm. good and so reminiscent. Why don't you just go with Elsa Dar- for here? <laughs> yeah, Elsa. Sure. I'm Elsa's sorry, I can't team. let it go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Anyway, uh, her art is very pleasantly reminiscent without being derivative of Darwin Cook and perfect for the romance style. I think Tom King, as usual, is messing with form, which is fun to see. But curious to hear what you guys thought about this book. Uh, I love this. Like, I feel that Tom King, like, really crushing it sort of across the board in his superhero work. And so he's uh, jumping into some romance comics, and but finding a way to sort of uh, mash it up or remix it and, and get after it in a new way. And uh, I, I like it. I like romance comics are a huge part of comic book history. So the fact that he's diving into it and sort of updating it in a way, I thought was really cool. Uh, I got a little confused. I had to read this a couple of times because I was like, who is she in love with? Which dude? And you why like, does it what keep is switching? love? What is well, love? Yeah. And is it everlasting or is it just kind of for a little while and then somebody gets tired of you? You know what I mean? So it's just this thing wow. of love. Uh, I I got a little confused with the switcheroos that were happening, uh, but I agree very much with the art style was immaculate and just very cool. Uh, some fun storytelling. But this isn't the first time I'm confused by a first issue of Tom King. So, you know, what am I sweating about? Yeah, let's talk about the coochie coos and the switcheroos, because I feel like <laughs> there was a lot of that in this one. Next up, Mind Management, bootleg number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kint, art by Matt Lisnowski. If you haven't, go check out our live show with Matt Kint, which I believe was last week. It was a We should have talked to him about this book, man. We did indeed. We did. (laughs) We should have, because this was really cool. I would have loved to talk to him about this. Uh, We did indeed, and if you haven't checked it out, I loved chatting with him about this book. This was a great conversation, so definitely uh, check that out. But here, we're getting a new team of Mind Management agents are being put together while, as usual, things are getting totally messed up on a structural basis in the background by Matt Kent and company. This is also switching from Farrell Dalrymple to Matt Lisnowski on art. What did you think about the second issue? I think this is great. We we talked to Matt about this book sort of um, and not too – we didn't get into like sort of the deeper – uh, like what actually is happening here and maybe this uh, sort of underlying narrative. But we did talk a lot about sort of all the like little Easter eggs and things yes. in this book. And just like reading that, reading this book with that in mind is so cool. Um, Far- Farrell Dalrymple did the art on the first issue. I feel like Matt uh, Lisniewski's art is a nice sort of turn of the dial on, uh, yes. on uh, yeah. Farrell's art. So I really like that. It sort of turns it up a bit. It gets a little bit sort of further out of the normal reality. Uh, very cool. This, to Love me, it. like, I, uh, along the lines of what Justin is saying, like, the little fun stuff happening between things is so creative and great. The kind of mind management take on Bazooka Joe right off the bat is so awesome and so much fun. You guys remember Bazooka Joe? You're old enough. Come on. You're old as fuck. So this I love was really... a Bazooka Joe comic and a piece of gum that he could break a window. Oh, with. yeah, dude. <laughs> It's like the brick of gum, but it yeah. was, uh, it's super creative. There's so many layers to what they're doing. Super impressive, uh, uh comic and art style. Uh, they're, they're killing it with this mind management world. 
So good. And if you're not, this is, I know we've had disagreements about reading the text pages before the stuff in the back, the script stuff. And we talked to Matt about this where he was like, there's nothing more boring to me than process stuff. So I'm going to put things in there, but they're not actually going to be processed things. Yeah. So much fun. But also if you know the world of mind management, huge plot stuff as well at the same yeah. time. Great. I, I, such yeah. a good package. Yeah. You could have just, yeah, it's a, it's a very nice package. I, I, I just wish you didn't have to throw me under the bus at the beginning of your fucking monologue. No, I'm not throwing you, you under just the bus. Said, like, I like think, hey, you know, uh, you know. Did you read it, Pete? <laughs> oh my god go back and read it it's really good and it's, a it's totally, very good yeah it's a totally new story and, in yeah. the world of mind management it's great to be fair pete we've you've been under the bus for years now so we're, <laughs> it, it's more like waving at you under the bus yeah, and man, let's just say that up, matt kit makes back matter matter well that's what's Ooh. what's what sucks is you know uh uh, because somebody else has ruined me on this, it, it's kind of uh, hurting my experience with other books. Well, let's move on to a book that at least some of us, I'm sure, can agree on. Ghostwriter Vengeance Forever, number one from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. I'm going to throw out here right at, right at the top that I went through like this emotional arc reading the stuff that I just repeated to you where I was like, Ghost Rider Vengeance Forever, another Ghost Rider book. We've read so many Ghost Rider number ones over the past year. And then I saw written by Benjamin Percy. I was like, all right, he's usually pretty reliable. This should be interesting at least. And then I saw art by Juan Jose Rip and I was like, oh, hell yeah. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what this book was. It uh, digs into the entirety of the Ghost Rider mythos and just lets Juan on Jose Rip, go to town with the grotiest, grossest images ever. Yes. As I think it's it's Danny Ketch, right? Or is it Johnny Blaze who's getting the... I honestly uh, mix them up. Blaze, Blaze is getting the tat, uh, the, yeah. orig, the original Ghost Rider. But we touch on all the Ghost Riders, even in all their weird 90s looks and ugly yeah. redraws and shit. It's good. Uh, the rule. cover, though, with all the tats on them is bananas detailed and amazing and uh what's cool is we kind of build up to that as the comic goes on well what i like about this book is it really captures the right tone for ghost rider i feel like uh, ghost rider has always felt to me sort of like an episode of like the outer limits or so, uh, a, a sci-fi fantasy like series for tv series from like the 80s or 90s where it's like mm. it's a little cheesy it's a little like oh the blind tattoo artist is gonna tattoo your future onto your body like i love all that and they, they do that here so well and use that sort of overarching premise to touch on all the weird wild sometimes bad ghost rider history stuff you didn't have but to make say it that. well but like some of the stuff in the ghost rider's history was like the Ghost Rider is one of those characters that they were like, okay, just do a lot of it now because it's popular right now. So some of it was not good, but they are able to absorb it into this story and sort of honor it all and give it get us to sort of like whatever the next phase for Ghost Rider is going to be. As the resident Ghost Rider fan on this podcast, I was impressed with what they handled, how they handled it, and how they didn't have to throw anything under the bus to kind of tell the story here. It was all really well kind of encapsulated and done and uh, does a great job of getting you excited for more. 
And almost nobody does better blood-spattered, gross, hyper-detailed art than Juan Jose Rip. So, again, that was the big selling point. Yeah, and we, we got to get ripped say, to enjoy this fucking book. You got to get ripped. Uh, well, we should say Pete loves this book especially because he is sort of a, a real-world version of Ghost Rider, an under-the-bus rider. Whenever someone gets thrown under the bus somewhere in the world, Pete's head explodes into fire. That's right. And he emerges riding a, beneath a flaming bus to go get them vengeance for them. That's right. Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Lantern, number one from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Jeremy Adams, art by Fernando Blanco and Jack Herbert. Now, with the reveal that Dark Crisis is actually Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths and the fact that the Justice League is not actually dead, but trapped on individual Earths where they're all living out different parts of their hopes or fantasies or something for some end. We finally understand what the point of the series is, which I don't think we necessarily knew with the Superman issue that came before. So given all of that and just given what happens in this book, what did you think? Well, the only uh, negative thing I'm going to say about this book is the title is too long. This I was really pleasantly surprised by this well, book. Everybody's got a title complaint tonight, huh? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's uh, got something to say about the title. I mean, uh, I, to be honest, like they could have shortened the Dark Crisis in Dees, you know, and it could be like uh, Dees Worlds. Uh, Dees. Oh, Dees Worlds, you know what I'm talking about? Pete? No, no, I don't. I And as a, someone who's not a fan of the Green Lantern, I think <laughs> this was epic. I really thought... I was really happy with the ending. I thought it was going to go differently. I was surprised by the outcome. I really loved the design of the Guardian. It really popped with the coloring that they did. This was a solid issue, and I hate Green Lantern. I can't say that enough. I also really love the backup story as well. Love the last page kind of laugh. I, I, I just feel like... Uh, uh, it was it was impressive. I had my arms crossed in this comic, uncrossed them. Also, I just want to take a minute. Uh, I have been absolutely loving the Neil Adams tribute that has been running in the DC mm. comics. Mm. Just, I'm glad that they're still doing it because it gets me every time I read it. It's very cool. Uh, I I like this as well, and I this captures something I've talked about a lot um, on our various podcasts. Like really loving Elseworlds when they used to do Elseworlds as like sort of an annual, and this feels like that. Each of these issues feels like it's going to be a positive version of an Elseworld story where we get to see the hero sort of in their like best case world uh and i imagine eventually they'll have to like give up these like sort of paradises to be heroes again and sacrifice the these sort of heavens they're living in to go back and save the entire universe uh but it'll be a fun journey uh seeing each hero's version of that and i would also say not that this is the most important thing but as a longtime comic reader this still holds a level of importance for me is knowing now that the secret is out there in terms of what Dark Crisis is, usually you get these spinoff books and it's like, yeah, you're just kind of filling out something on the side and maybe it's well-written, maybe it's well-drawn, but it's not necessarily going to feed back to the main book. Knowing what the secret is about them being trapped in these worlds somehow by Pariah and why is he doing this, it makes them automatically more interesting to me, like more yeah. intriguing because I want to know why Pariah is doing this. Why is Pariah sticking these characters in positive else worlds? It makes the main series more interesting and more fascinating. And that's very rare to see with a spinoff series. Uh, I agree with all that. Um, and I want to say, I don't know. 
I while I was reading this, I was like, oh, we called this on like our last episode of uh, the stack or the sh- or the live show. But then I was like, but maybe we just read a press release and said it. <laughs> but I think we called it. I think we called it. This is what the the next phase of this was going to be. I'm not 100% sure. Why don't we move on to an original property, though? The Deadliest Bouquet, number one from yeah, the Image dude. Comics, written by Erica Schultz, art by Carola Borelli. This is about a woman who runs a flower shop. She's just a normal, everyday woman. Doesn't and, seem like a big well, deal. Don't, Seems pretty don't normal. Say it yeah, like that. She dies I mean, don't and minimize her three her. daughters uh, get maybe implicated in the crime. They all have specific skill sets, and it turns out she is not what she seems either. Pete, I know you really dug this book. Talk about it. Yeah, I was really impressed. I mean, it starts off and you're like, okay, deadliest bouquet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roses have thorns in it. We fucking get it. But it's very different and uh, really creative, uh, amazing art. I love the uh, uh, all the plants that you see throughout it, really detailed and well done. Loving the like plants. Some, somebody's, got a love, somebody's got a love for some uh, floral arrangements, and I am mad at them. Um, but also, they got a love of knives, and I'm also not mad at that. Great use of knives. You don't really see that a lot in comics, but man, mwah, just really well done with the knife work here. Uh, some really fun stuff. Uh, it's an interesting book. It feels um, almost Hitchcockian in the way, Ooh. like a modern uh, version of that. Everything yeah, feels... Yeah, that one tracking panel that goes the whole way. Yeah, really impressive. Yeah, tracking panel. Um, definitely. Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> the way that it uh, – Pete's film school, so that we haven't touched on in a while. Uh, the way that it's sort of like all the daughters are named after flowers uh, and uh, – yes? No, no, I'm just uh, enjoying the fact that Pete did actually go to film school, and I think we've been doing this podcast for 15 years, and the first thing – the first time that's ever played into our podcast, Pete's saying, tracking shot. <laughs> See? He gets it. Uh, yeah. That's what education does for you. Uh, um, no line I, producer. At s- some point, I really hope to use my theater education, but not yet. Go ahead, Justin. No, not yet. Uh, your vocal warm-ups really show, though. Let's be honest. Oh, man. All I'm saying I- is that mommy made me mush my m Would you write your own? You wrote your own? Uh, you never do that one? Bobby made me mush my m and no, Mommy made me enough. mush my m and It's lion face, lemon face. Oh. Mm, yeah. Did you Red leather, you do yellow to leather. Today? Yeah, yeah. Now you're talking. Again. Now <laughs> you're talking. At a minute or two to do, a thing distinctly hard to say, but harder still to do. From the uh, drag will come when he hears the drum with a rat ta 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 well done. Why don't we cut out all the theater warm-ups and just put that part in? <laughs> Hellboy and the BPRD 1957 Falling Sky from Dark Horse Comics written by Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson art by Sean Martinbra. This book is about Hellboy and a dude who just wants to see a cryptid that nobody's ever seen before going yeah. on an investigation. I cannot read these books anymore without thinking about you, Justin, saying, <laughs> you're like, man, I wish there were individual adventures of Hellboy coming out every week and now there are. It's. I feel like I waste. I. I mean, I like these books, but I feel like I wasted a wish. I wished on Hellboy books, and that's the thing that comes through. It's like if there hey, were. Like, we're getting great Hellboy books. Not a wasted wish. I, I just feel like if there if there were eight million genies, eight billion genies, and I ended up using mine on that. Whoops. Wait, have you been a genie this whole time? No, I had one, but I mean, yeah, a genie was like, man. "Gotcha." 
I I love this. I keep eating these up. These just they're so like the toad of Hellboy is just so. I don't know. I'm thinking. I want to say like lazy, but that's not actually what I mean. It's just sort of like very offhand. It's very casual. It's like yeah, Hellboy's casual. Yeah. So you said you've been eating these up like mommy's mashed M and M's. You're saying (laughs) that you you love these. Mommy made me mush my M's. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the art. I love the action in this. The the creepy laugh at the end by the guy uh, was a little freaking me out. But a but, bummer ending for him, I would say. Yeah, but man, this is just a great book. I'm super happy to get more Hellboy issues. Thank you, Justin. And it pays <laughs> tribute to my favorite Noah Wiley series, Falling Skies. Moving on, Judgment Day number two <laughs> oh, from Marvel, God. written by Karen Gillan, art by... <laughs> In this issue, the mutants of Krakoa are fighting the Eternals. The Avengers are coming to help them. And meanwhile, the Avengers and some of the good Eternals are coming up with a very stupid plan to resurrect the... uh, Oh my gosh, what's it called? I'm blanking with all these names. Hump Uh, Island. uh Giant, (laughs) giant robot looking dude. The Celestials? Celestial, thank you. Uh, Celestial, who they've been hanging out in for the past couple of years. And uh, it goes predictably wrong by the end of the issue. What do you think about this one? And how are you feeling about this crossover so far? Um, It's pretty pretty chaotic. Wait, just don't talk for a second. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Crickets. Wow. Using the environment. Um, Looks like I, Pete I, I, has uh, moved out from under the bus and thrown this book under there. Wow. <laughs> as long as there's something under the bus. Wow. Um, let the cricket speak. I there, There's a lot going on in this book. Classic Kieran Gillen uh, thing to do. Have a lot. This feels like his Eternals book has sort of absorbed the Avengers and X-Men, um, which is cool. Um, I feel like... Like there are a lot. We talked a lot about of like mini events popping up, the deceased, all that. This feels like a mini event that actually needs more. It needs a little mm. bit more runway. I want to see these characters around each other a little bit more before they're thrown into a very chaotic battle. Um, so I feel like just a little more runway would make me um, like this better. Um, but I do think it's nice to feel like the X-Men are hanging out with the rest of the Marvel Universe. I, I got to say, without throwing anybody under the bus, I think the colors and inks are really yes. nice in this book. But it's very hard, to your point, Justin, to keep track of the action, uh, the way that the layouts are going. It's hard to tell what the characters are, where they are, what how they're interacting. The thing that's keeping me going with this is I do think Kira Gillen's a great writer, and the tone of it is great. I love there's a running theme through this book of checking in with ground level people in the Marvel universe. You got to check in with people, man. That's just things. I think that's great because we usually get like we're focusing on the heroes in these big events, what happening to them, and occasionally they're like, "Stop some rubble falling on you." Goodbye, and that's pretty much it. But this seems to be very much, and without spoiling what happens at the end here, about literally every person who lives on Earth in the Marvel Universe and not just these three super teams. And that is very intriguing to me. And if they can dig in more than that, I get, I'm very excited about this crossover, but a lot depends on what happens on the third issue. Have you guys checked in with your your ground level uh, friends lately? 
Like your friends that are out there fighting on the streets. Because obviously that's we're... what this podcast was. <laughs> yeah. We're your street fighting guys. Yeah. Uh, You're my well, man on the street. If that's true, I'm still waiting for you to check in. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, um, I do really like the runner Consider of... me to assist. Oh, <laughs> Look, Pete, he's got you laughing on a bit. He just kept. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not laughing. Keep, keep I'm laughing. Shaking my fist in rage. Shaking You're my laughing. fist in laughter. Yay! The George Carlin of the podcast strikes again. <laughs> I really like the runner of checking in with the the actual humans, like you're saying, Alex. Um, it, it pops up a bunch in this issue, um, and I feel like that kind of stuff really fleshes out the world and actually gives me a little bit of a baseline that the hero side has not. In this yeah, it, it sort of feels like, again, I'm not going to spoil the end here, but it feels like where they get to at the, the end of this issue is the actual idea of this crossover. And I'm curious to see if that is what they're following going forward. Why don't we move on to the Jurassic League, excuse me, number four from DC Comics, written by Daniel Warren Johnson. There you go. You're wearing a shirt. I thought you were going to shout his name. And Juan Gideon, art by Juan Gideon and John McHale versus the previous issue, which also had that chaos going and didn't have the art by Juan Gideon. Really nice to see him back here on this issue because I feel like... I feel like it makes everything clear. Like the yeah. point of doing this is the art of the book and that is the way that it works. So once again, despite the hiccup that we had with issue three, this really worked for me. What about you guys? Yeah. I mean, this is just over the top fun. This is just a great time. Uh, the reveal at the end spoilers, uh, you know, the dark side reveal was just super fun and great over the top. That That's who I wanted to come onto the giant egg. So I was having a great time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that um, dark side was a uh, I sort of felt that that was coming. But the fact that dark side was an ankylosaurus, one of my favorite dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, wow. I was psyched about. Yeah, because his name like dark cycle, dark cycle side or something like that. Yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah. Um, I Ankylosaurus is the tank of the dino world. It's got a, I, I it's like a big badass w- turtle with spikes. Alex, uh, let me dino out here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Why is Alex, it a triceratops? I forgot the you were tank a paleontologist, so go ahead. In a way, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Um, oh, in a, in a, I don't another believe life. that uh, at all. In okay. another life, brother. Right? Uh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> See you in another life, brother. What is uh, that? <laughs> Again, Desmond, the vocal warm-ups <laughs> are killing it for you. It really shows in your impressions. <laughs> Not <all>. Penny's boat! <laughs> uh, the Ankylosaurus is, I'm glad I'm going back to this point, it's a tank of the Dino World, sharp spikes, hard top, and a wrecking ball for a tail. Badass. Very fun. Let's move on and talk about 8 Billion Genies, number four, as we teased earlier in the podcast for some reason, from Image Comics, written by Charles Soule, art by Ryan Brown. In this issue, the age of superheroes is upon us as everybody continues to work through their genie wishes. Big spoilers here. Justin. Huge spoilers. Big ups for you. You called it, man. I knew it. Um, I guess we should we can say that um, yeah. the, the bartender wait, in the wait, bar. Wait, 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 wait. You called that the Earth is actually just a giant smiley face? 
Uh, yes. You called that? And mm-hmm. that's a theory I've been pushing on the internet for quite some time. <laughs> wow. I, there's a lot of flat earthers. I'm a fun earther. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> the earth is smiling. Um, no, what I called was that um, the bartender has been through this before. I said he had been at, uh, in a last iteration where the world got 8 billion genies. And that was what the the what happened here i didn't call that he had turned out to be the last genie from the thank last you world. for being honest i always am uh to a fault ah. i think so i thought that was a cool reveal and th- this book is uh, charles soul is a writer who has eight billion ideas mm-hmm. and it feels like this book he found a way to be like here comes a lot of them uh in a great way and i love the bar as the hub we get to meet these characters at the same time there's pure chaos going outside on outside in the regular world yeah, this book continues to be really impressive as it unfolds here, and we're kind of catching up. It's uh, Charles Soule's a great writer. I love this duo. They do a lot of amazing work. We also get a shout-out to their old uh, comic, and we get to see Wizard uh, a couple of times in some panels here, so that was really cool. Um, yeah, I this is awesome. This is super creative, really fun. I'm worried about the kid out there, um, but... Uh, also, you know, it's, I knew this was going to happen. If you hold on to your wish, people start telling you what to do with it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, I use my wish. You got to use your wish because I messed up. Like, go after yourself. Uh, Hellboy comics, Hellboy comics every week. Hellboy comics every week. Uh, One of the things that I really like about this issue in particular is I started to get a little worried that we were going to sit in the superhero stuff too long. It feels like kind of a no brainer for comic creators to be like, yeah, everything airs towards superheroes. But. Again, spoilers, they get through that in this issue and they move on to whatever the next age of the genies is. So it continues to show, like you were saying, Justin, the continued creativity of this book and how Charles Soule is banging through these ideas. Like you said, Pete, Ryan Brown is just putting so many Easter eggs and other things in the background. The character creation is awesome. There's so much fun stuff here. This is like curse words, but distilled down to eight issues, and I'm loving it. Let's move on to The Ward, number three for Dark Horse Comics written by Kevin Scott, who we had on the live show a couple of weeks ago. Man, we should have asked him about this. You gotta stop with that bit, man. (laughs) Art by Andres (laughs) Bones. Oh, I gotta stop with a recurring bit? Go after yourself. Anyway, this is about a supernatural hospital that has mystical creatures coming in. In this issue, they are investigating something that's going on in an apartment building, and they get end up getting trapped in it. Some big stuff goes down here, as well as teeing up the next issue. I'm loving this series so far. Uh, how are you guys feeling about it? The premise is still so strong. A, um, a hospital procedural set, an ER set in like a, a fantastical world where uh, all the patients are fantasy creatures. Awesome. Um, it felt like it was sort of one and done stories with a light uh, sort of characters carrying through. But now we're getting into some, some stuff that's starting to carry over. So I'm here for it. I think this book is uh, really strong. Yeah, this is super creative, a ton of fun, great idea, good execution, amazing artwork. Uh, I'm here for it. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw out the last note that Andre Ponce's art is so good. The characters are so clear throughout and doing something that is mostly characters trapped under rubble, like unless you're doing the classic Spider-Man issue where he's trapped under it, it's very hard to do, but it totally works here. And the action is really good as well. Let's move on and talk about Punisher number five from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, <laughs> art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceda. In this issue, Punisher is trying to get his wife out from the hand underneath uh, them. He has realized that everything is wrong far too late for him, yeah. as well as we're Same. getting flashbacks to his teen years <laughs> when he met Maria. Pete, number one Punisher fan, take it away. All right. Yeah. So this is a really interesting. Uh, Jason Aaron really kind of give us some backstory on the Punisher, which is an interesting choice. We're seeing kind of like young teen Punisher who just likes to, you know, hang out in the men's room, just carving shit on fucking walls, you know, like everybody did back in the day. Um, so, yeah, it, I'm loving how much we're learning about the character. This kind of inner, uh, you know, Justin likes the fact that we're in the Punisher's head. We're kind of getting his dialogue in red. It's a little creepy at points where he's talking about how great murder is. And if you murder people, you'll be free. I was kind of like, whoa, Punisher. Whoa, <laughs> Punisher. Whoa. Not about whoa, murdering Punisher. people. Hold like, on. Hold back. Say, That's not what the know. character's about. Yeah. I mean, you do that, but you don't have to be like you so into that. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You don't have to be so into it. Um, um, but also just the You're I, just a cool dude with a lot of guns and a skull on his chest. Take right. it away, Pete. Sorry. Okay, stop. Yeah, please stop interrupting <laughs> me. This is my time here, okay? Uh, so I just think that, like, it's very interesting, the duality going on here with the Punisher. And also the kind of reveal that we get Ares rocking the old school Punisher shirt. Great. Now we're getting a logo fight. I'm all about this. Uh, but also, you know, that's the thing about, you know, the creepy hand lady. You're going to kill one, another one's going to pop up at the other end of the woods. We all saw that coming. Uh, but I am absolutely the loving this. The, the, the <laughs> art, the storytelling, the in-depth look into the Punisher's life. This is just fun on top of fun. I, I wish we could turn down the uh, pro murder speech, but other than that, I just uh, I'm having a fun time here. This is a great time to be alive. <laughs> the idea of uh, the Punisher being like, please don't murder a lot of people. That's it. Yeah. Well, you, you don't have to be like, whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. You don't have to be like, once you murder, it sets you free. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you I'm can murder Punisher, people. Dial it back a little bit. I'm just saying yeah. that you can murder people for your beliefs, you know, in your comic oh, book, sure. but you don't have to then preach about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Oh, weird take. Um, I don't <laughs> like The Punisher, uh, but I do like this book. I think the backstory stuff about The Punisher, um, I want to call him Lil Frank, I thought was really, really great. Um, of course he's into hockey. Great stuff uh, to have him there. You um, can fight. Why wouldn't you be into hockey? And I really like the the sort of the choice of having Punisher take Maria out of the Hands uh, Castle or whatever, and then um, have to bring her back. And he's trapped there um, by his own. Uh, he's almost being punished, you know. Oh, okay, what? interesting, interesting. I want to throw it out to the structure of this book, and I feel like a lot of this is probably up to Jason Aaron. We had him on the show a couple of months ago. At Man, this point, we should have talked to him about this. We book. did. We did. 
Anyway, one thing that I've noticed over the course of these issues is you have Jesus Saez is doing the stuff in the present, which is Punisher at the hand. Paula Azaceda is doing the flashbacks. And they have very meticulously expanded the real estate of the flashbacks over the course of the issues. And that clearly seems very, like, calculated and purposeful. Like, it didn't start off half and half, but now we're at that point where it's almost like this memory is taking over what's going on, and that's where Punisher's living, where he has become the sum of his experiences, and now he's trapped in this position with the hand where he can't get out of. This is great. We're only five issues in, but this really feels like a all-timer run on the Punisher, and also, as not a fan of The Punisher, there have been several all-timer runs, and this is standing up there with them already. Oh, wow. I, you know, I was worried we were going to have a Roxanne situation where, you know what I mean, like a one character mm. writes the words and the other character takes the credit. But, uh, you know, luckily that nerdy guy died, so, you know what I mean, like Maria really doesn't have a choice of who to be with, but, uh, you know, I was a little yeah, worried. Just throw that weird <laughs> nonsense in there at the end. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> so... First, you're referencing a Steve Bart movie from, the, I want to say, the late 80s. And then it's a also, staple. like, we all know what it is. I don't know if it's a staple. You're worried that it's also based on Cyrano de Bergerac, which is a reference you could make. And the idea that you were worried about the nerdy guy being a problem for the Punisher, it's great. That was the threat you saw. Wild. Wonder Woman number 790 from DC Comics, written by Becky Cluden and yes. Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Manuela Lupacino, Jose Luis, and Eduardo Pensica and Paulina Ganeshao. In this book, we're finally wrapping up the... Uh, not first arc, but the current arc going on with Wonder Woman as she's been fighting against Dr. Psycho and the League. What is it called? The League of Villainy? Villain Incorporated? Something like that? Whatever uh, it is. Yeah, sure. The, the, the Dr. Psycho is, arc, yeah. which you've been asking for for a long time, Pete. We got the wrap up I'm, here and, of course, the reveal that there's an even bigger villain waiting in the wings. What did you think? Yeah, I was just happy we finally took down this fucking C-list piece of shit, Dr. Psycho. Uh, we all knew there was a bigger bad, but uh, it was it was nice to finally get that piece of shit out of the way. Because uh, the only Dr. Psycho I like is in the Harley Quinn animated series because they're making fun of what a douchebag he is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad that Wonder Woman finally took care of business in this issue. You had to wait for a while, but it was worth the wait. Amazing art, great storytelling. Uh, I'm having a ton of fun with Wonder Woman here. Love the supporting cast that Wonder Woman has right now. A lot of great characters there. Yeah. And really like sort of the late in the issue, the end of the issue, I guess, uh, reveal that uh, we're going to be maybe getting some more Diana Prince stuff. We're going to get just fleshing out sort of the world. Well, I think that's something that – oh, go ahead, Pete. I was going to talk about the backup, but if you were going to talk. I was just going to say that's something that I think Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad have been great about doing in their run is just really digging through the history of Wonder Woman and finding these new, fresh ways to bring back these different parts of their history, which is very fun. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to Manuela Lupacito on the art, which is just not just some clean superhero art, but the way they do Siegfried in particular, it yeah. feels like they throw him in these beefcake situations where he's like, oh, God, I, I have to pose right here. He's and always it's, posing. It's a hilarious running joke. Like, I, I love it. It makes me laugh every time. Very good stuff. Talk about the backup, Pete. Yeah, so the backup has been solid. I like the story that the 
excuse me, flushing out, but also, um, you know, lightning is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can't just be standing around talking about your feelings out there when you could get struck by lightning. You know what I mean? Like you got to play yeah. it safe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Slumber number six from Image Comics, written by Tyler Burton Smith, art by Vanessa Cardinale. This is the end of, oh, at the very man. least, this arc, maybe the title, though it seems like there's a promise of something more. This has been one of my favorite books coming out from Image over the past Lord. couple of months, following a woman who is trying to track down an evil being through nightmares and dreams. Here, it all comes down to her and the memory of her daughter. Um, what do you guys think about this book? Obviously, I said that I've really been digging it, and in particular, Vanessa Cardinale's art walks this perfect line between, like, actually nightmarish things and fun yeah. cartoons. It feels, yeah. a little, it feels a little adventure-timey to me in certain ways. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys feel about this and how it ended? Yeah, I, I, I like this book as well. I think the standout to me is the art, and I like that it has that sort of the nightmare cartoon uh, logic and a mix of like the characters look fun. And then one of them gets a hole blown into them. Yeah. I, I also really enjoy the menacing kind of uh, cartoonish uh, back and forth that they do, but also I love all the twists and turns in this comic. There's been, there was a a ton of like, okay, uh, uh, what can happen? What can they do? And, uh, uh, it was really impressive the kind of back and forth and and the way they kind of ended it and 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 uh, got the best of them. So really impressive, great story. Uh, yeah, as a collection, I think this holds up as as a really fantastic run. A great execution of art and storytelling. I think this is going to be in a lot of people's uh, top ten or top twenty for sure. Wow! Wow! Yeah, definitely. Check it out. They tease at the end that they are having a collection, so you can check that out. Yeah. If you missed it, check uh, back in with it. Let's move on and talk about Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, number three from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Carmen Carnero. Now, Captain America is finding out that his shield has a secret history behind it. That's what he's dealing with at this issue. Justin, I know you're a big fan of this one. Talk about it. Justin, yeah. you love shields. I love shields because you know what they do? They block stuff. You can hold them over your head. Block you can the sled rain. in them. Sun, sled. Great. Straight out of Willow, the movie. Fan. Uh, obviously, Pete, that's what you're referencing. Mad Mardigan, uh, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I was just mentioning Pete that. offering up nothing. I, no, I was just, I was just saying that you know we uh, we grew up in upstate New York where you you sled on anything you can find, and a shield definitely can be that anything thing. you can find. Anything, <laughs> anything <laughs> man, anything. Banana peels is horrible. It's uh, just slipping for days. You're slipping for uh, days. But uh, Justin, uh, you had back to be, in uh, on Long Island where I grew up, we used to uh, slide on our butlers. <laughs> wow. You fucking rich piece of shit. <laughs> Billy Sorry. Joel wrote a song about that, right? <laughs> no, Slide Justin. the butler. <laughs> Justin, you Slide ever... Slide out of him. <laughs> I like you chose Bottle of Red as your uh, <laughs> reference Literally there. the only thing I can think of. Justin, you have, you have a... Uh, Slide it re- out of butler. <laughs> That's not Billy Joel song. Yeah, so. No idea what you're talking about there, <laughs> singing know. about. But I, I do want to tell At you about some this point, comic. I just want to throw out there, I've got a really good Billy Joel story, but we don't have time for it right now. Take it away, Justin. Oh, nice. That'd be great. That's good 
for, for the back matter. The what I like about this is it feels like it takes all the elements, the sort of old timey elements of Captain America. He's so earnest. He's got like his Brooklyn or New York lifestyle he's living. But he's out there trying to do good. It's so hard to to get him, even if you're in an exploding volcano. And we get these fun reveals on top of that. Some great superhero fight stuff here. Uh, a lot of f- fleshing out of some like backstory that we weren't aware of. The fact that his shield is like a record. Play, you play, he's playing a record, basically yeah, an issue. You play it backwards, it gets trippy. I, I just think it's one of those things where I think that's the worst thing someone could pop up and say to you is that history will not remember you. So it was kind of a creepy... Uh, amazing choice to kind of have this reoccurring kind of character say that, uh, which is kind of the worst thing you could say to somebody. Uh, I'll say kind of what I said about the last issue. It's really hard to make. Well, then don't of, repeat yourself. If you're just going to be a broken record, maybe pick something else to say. Ooh, what am record. I going to say, Pete? What am I going to say? Do you remember? Uh, something uh, stupid. <laughs> oh, great. Well, it was a month ago, so maybe people didn't listen to that podcast. What I was going to say is that it is very hard to make this sort of retcon stuff work and feel uh, emotionally grounded. And that's yeah. exactly what they're doing here. Like, all of the stuff with the shield is working for me. It's interesting. It's tied into Captain America's character. The tease at the end is that we're going to tie back to the non-superpowered characters that really mean something to Captain America in this new arc. And the standout is Carmen Canero's art, which, like I mentioned before, really feels like it ties back to Ed Brubaker's run. It's mm, really clean, yeah. really interesting. There's a great spread where he's attacking the main villain, which is kind of like an Amazo clone type thing, and he's just trying out different things with a shield. It's very cool. I'm really enjoying this a lot. What, I, uh, what were you going to say, Justin? I was just going to say, I think, tying back to the Ed Brubaker run, which also dealt with a lot of retconning and fleshing out sort of old, uh, old Captain America stories and possibilities, that feels like that's doing, this is doing that as well in a cool way. Yeah, I was just trying to, uh, Steve Epting, that was the artist mm. on that, and it feels Steve. Steve. That's Superman. Steve. Son of Kal-El, number 14 from DC Comics, oh, written on. by Tom Taylor, art by Cian Tormi. This is what a lot of this arc has been building to as Superman and company are heading straight for our villains. Uh, there's a big fight that happens at the end here. We get some heroes that are joining them. There's a lot of stuff going on. This book continues to be great. So I mean, heartfelt. This is... This is a great comic. You should be reading this. Of all the comics, like, this should be on your pull list. It's really, really fun. I love the twists and turns. Amazeballs art. I love Robin, this book. Uh, you know, Superman's boyfriend is joining the fight, getting a suit, getting 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 involved. It's uh, it's really exciting, and uh, I love the building they're doing on this relationship and on the uh, Superman's son kind of taking on the mantle. This is really a refreshing, cool take on Superman. Uh, what I, I loved about this is there's just the moments. I feel like Tom Taylor's run just – is doing such a great job of like having the overarching story, great superhero action, but just having these little moments where we get to really see Superman be, you know, a human at, at his core. And like the moment where um, he's dropping uh, his boyfriend into the Gossamer is the name I was trying to think of his, his new yeah, yeah, uh, superhero name. Um, like he's like, okay, I'm going to drop you. And he's like, do it. 
and he doesn't want to because Superman's whole thing is saving people, c- catching them and picking them up. But for their plan, he had to drop him. I, I just thought that was such a cool, smart little moment in this book. This is so cool, this whole book. Uh, another thing that I'll spoil here, but Damian Wayne comes back and just Say the spoilers. If you're going to spoil something, Jesus. I did. The relationship between Damian Wayne and Jonathan Kent is so good, and I love seeing that again, even though they're in very weird, very different situations at this point. There's a double-page splash with the villains and the heroes attacking each other that is gorgeously drawn by C and Tormi. This book is great, exactly like Pete said. Let's move on and talk about Unnatural Blue Blood, number two, from Image Comics, written by Mirka Andalfo, art by Mirka Andalfo and Ivan Bitarella. This takes place in a world with animal people who are investigating some weird mystical stuff that's going on. Now, the big thing that I said with the last issue that I'll throw out here is the first series had some really interesting stuff to say about racism and how we handle that in a society. We didn't really get that in the first issue here. It was more mythology. And I was hoping we would get that in the second issue. I got to say, I don't think we got that. And that was, I don't think we're going to get that. Yeah, the art is still very good. Love Mirka Andalfo's characters. They're really well drawn and her cartooning is very good, but uh, honestly, this is just not working for me. I don't know how you guys felt about it. Yeah, I'm not crazy about it either. Uh, I'm, it feels like the goal here is to like build a mythology or a mystery or trying to like flesh out a world. And maybe in the next series, um, we can get back to some of the larger uh, ideas. Uh, but yeah, I agree. This feels just like sort of uh, diving into something that I'm not super down with. Same. <laughs> he just feels uncomfortable about animals fucking each other. Yeah, but I mean, of- there's yeah, there's a weird. Hey, you know what I mean? Like whatever you're into, uh, you know, do you? I got what? bad news, Pete. Animals fucking is happening all the time right now, constantly. <laughs> Good for them. Get it. You know Good for I mean? animals. Good yeah. for all animals. Yeah, yeah. You get it all, man. You got to do your thing. Pete, you do that thing every night where you go around and you look at different animals fucking, fucking, and you're like, get it, right? <laughs> Right? You do, no, right? No, Get it, two dogs down the street. Get it, mosquitoes that try to bite me. Get it. Get it, birds in your nest, your nice little nest. I'm glad up there you guys the are having fun. What's the next comic? Get it. Sorry, Pete, do you want to come out from under the bus now, or what's going yeah. on? Naomi, season two, number six. Who, nope, who you're jumping it? way ahead. The Amazing Spider Man. Oh, did you? Oh, I think that was purposeful, actually. Oh, the Amazing yeah. Spider Man. Yeah, did you see what's going on? The Amazing Spider-Man number seven from Marvel written by Zeb Is this your horror show section? Is that what's going on here, Pete? Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man number seven from Marvel written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr. Um, We still don't know what's going on with Spider-Man, what horrible thing he did back in the day, but he's slowly trying to work his way back to his friends and his family and his neighbors. And here... He is trying to work with Norman Osborn, who's been cured of craziness and is back with his company. And in between that, Osborn makes a hilarious gaffe where he brings Mary Jane to come see him. And Mary Jane and Peter Parker are not on the best terms right now. So lots of emotional stuff going on in this issue. Pete, I know the reasons you were upset about this. Justin, what did you think about it? I actually like this run. I feel like the the way that this story has shaken up the Spider-Man core is really refreshing. Like, I don't know what's happening. And um, I like last issue, like Peter Parker and Black Cat. 
I'm here for that relationship. If it's not working out with Mary Jane, and it's clearly not, she is married, right, and has kids with this other guy. It's unclear. They haven't actually. It's unclear. I think purposefully have not specified what's going on here. Yeah, um, because they're playing with our fucking emotions. Well, I do think it, I, I trust Zeb Wells to execute on this because he's a really good writer. John Romita Jr., awesome on art. Yeah. Amazing I art. do worry a little bit because Nick Spencer's arc was based a lot on like, we've Bullshit. got a secret and we're not going to tell you. And then eventually when they told us the secret, it was like, why did you take so long to get to yeah. the secret? So that makes me a little worried with this because this is also based on the same th- sort of thing in terms of like, what are the secrets? What's going on here? But, well, but if they can I, execute I just, on that, I think it'll work. I do think, like, because I, I agree with you about Nick, the Nick Spencer secret. Uh, I was like, wow, it's too coy for too long. But this, the story isn't built on that secret. It's just we're seeing the moments and we're going to get, it's going to build and build and, and sort of burst out, I feel like, the Mary Jane stuff. But, like, the, the stuff with the vulture in this uh, issue I thought was fantastic. Really great, really, like, emotional, scary it reminded me a lot of one of the first comics I ever read, a uh, a Captain uh, Captain Marvel or what was Captain it? Captain America. The, no, a Captain an issue of Spider Man where he had the um, the, the Captain Marvels. No, he had the, the when the Captain oh, Marvel Captain ju- Universe Captain, Captain Universe. Universe yes when Captain Universe jumped around to different heroes and they had superpowers it was right after that the powers vanished and he was flying off the planet. Um, and the the last couple of pages felt very much uh, like that, so I I thought it was cool. That's well, nice. You had a little kind of flashback. That's cool. A little mem. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying this as well, just for the old school feel. But I do think the long term way we think about this run is going to depend on the execution of those secrets. And so I hope they get to those sooner rather than later. But as is, uh, I'm with you. I'm enjoying this stuff. Love the tombstone stuff that happened in the first arc. Very interested to see what's going to happen here. So I'm definitely back on board, but tentatively excited rather than excited. Ooh, Alex. One foot out the door. Naomi season two, number six from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and David F. Walker, art by Jamal Campbell. This is the final issue of Naomi. Pete, don't say it. We talked to David F. Walker months ago (laughs) about Naomi, and he teased that what they were going to do here was they're going to leave it all on the table. That this was like, if they never got to tell another Naomi story, this is where it's going to end. They wanted to bring her to a new place. And so we finally get to see what that is in this issue. So what do you think about it? How do you feel about how this character potentially ended, or at least the next place that she's taken to? Well, I mean, they did a good job of building because it was like at the first it was like, what's going on? But then things really started to cook and we really got to know Naomi and find out more. And it really built. I I love this issue. I like how we're finally getting to know stuff. It was great to see D back. Uh, I I love the art. This is great action and page layouts. I really fell in love with the kind of back half of this story, and uh, it stinks that it's ending because uh, I finally started to really dig it. Um, I really liked this second series a lot more than the first. It felt like that Naomi was actually in command of her powers and her sort of choices when the first series uh, and was more about her being like, I do I belong here? And I was like, just just be just belong there. It, it felt like it was stuck in that tone. 
this felt like it really advanced. Um, so I like this run a lot better. And I, I do think they'll do more. Last but not least, Giant Size Gwen Stacy, number one from Marvel, written by Christos Gage, art by Todd Nock. This is a solo series featuring Gwen Stacy, as you can figure out, as she travels around the street level of the Marvel Universe. Spider-Man is a little bit present, but she interacts with the Kingpin and Green Goblin and Fancy Dan and all of those other characters. (laughs) Um, This is also a hundred page plus issue of a comic, so you're getting a huge amount of story here. This is basically a graphic novel. What do you guys think about this one? Uh, I I was just... <laughs> Love the pause there, guys. I was well, so surprised. I was hoping Justin would start talking, okay. but then I, I, was enjoying, I was enjoying the crickets, and I don't want to be negative, so, you know, don't waste the why, money. Why would you... I mean, this... This feels like it was a, a four or five issue arc that they just threw into this giant sized book uh, rather than release it. And I, I thought it was cool. Um, it It is a Spider-Man world story and a Gwen world story without any sort of Spider-Gwen, really any sort of Spider-Man. It's like setting sort of a Shakespeare in love style story, um, laying out a lot of elements that later inform Gwen Stacy's life. But this is just like her being like a good uh, junior cop solving a mystery um, on behalf of her dad. I feel like this is very reminiscent to me of the other old school books Marvel has been putting out lately, mostly where it's usually getting an old team to come back where it's like Chris Claremont, he's back on the X-Men or Peter David is writing Maestro or things like that. Except for the fact that you have Christo Cage, who is just, good at that stuff in general. And you have Todd Nock, who always uh, draws in a really uh, good old school style. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, I think it's definitely going to scratch that itch. It definitely made me want more Spider-Gwen. So let's get mm. that going. All right. And then that is it for the stack. <laughs> if you'd like to he support calls our- off, it calls off his review. He calls just it like, audible. Not well, I, I, I don't want to be uh, too negative. You know, uh, you know, there, there's different teams and, you know, sometimes you can be won over. I think Christos Gage is an amazing writer. I think the artist is fantastic. I, I just wasn't feeling it. I, you know, I appreciate the fact that instead of buying a bunch of issues, they're kind of gave it to me in one. So great on you. And if you are into these characters, maybe you'll like this book, but you know, unfortunately just, it didn't speak to me and I tried and uh, you know, I, I kept being like, stop being a douche, read the comic. We got to talk about it. And uh, you know, it just, I was like, what are we doing here? It's and too big. just, it, it just kept going. So, I mean, you, you'd like a regular size Gwen Stacy, I think. Uh, or just, you know, I'm sorry she died. You know, you don't have to. You hey, have to I just want to say oh thank, my you God. For, th- thank you for saying something. Wow. <laughs> you thank know, you. like, thank you, for, to, thank you for mentioning this. that she is deceased. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to chat with you about <laughs> love to chat with you about comic books. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop.
जन्म देते 